If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 21, as we continue our sermon series looking at the life of Abraham as we find it in the book of Genesis, uh, we are going to find a great passage for us today. We know that God has made some incredible promises to him, an old man uh, with a uh, wife who's known as barren. There's been a promise of a son, and today we're going to see that promise finally come to fruition. How many of you all had a promise that you've had to wait for for a really long time? How many of you all are still waiting for something to come true that you've been waiting for for a very, very, very long time? Well, today we'll see uh, God's faithfulness in Genesis 21 to Abraham. We'll see and rejoice. But just like all the things, there's both joy and there's even sorrow. It's been said about parents this. It's been said that a parent can really only be as happy as the child that he has that's the least happiest. Let me say it again. A parent's happiness is so tied to a child that the least happy child probably will reflect your level of happiness. Is it not true? Those of us who have parents, we have a tendency to go up with their ups and we have a tendency to go down with their downs. I found that to be true as a parent. Blessed with four kids, uh, it's so true oftentimes, uh, having the highs and lows. Certainly this week was a microcosm of that roller coaster ride. Uh, our son Caleb had the privilege with the Orangewood Christian Baseball team of playing in the final four for a state championship. And on Wednesday, we won our semifinal game, and it was the thrill of victory. And on Thursday, we had the state finals, and we didn't win. And it was the agonizing defeat. Oh, no, we didn't win. But uh, realizing even through that, God is very gracious. We got back from that game. It was down in Fort Myers. We drove back after losing that game. I got in around 1 in the morning. And at 7.30 the next morning, I'm on a bus with 10th graders going on a field trip. And I had, the, I had the privilege of going. It was a great field trip. I signed up for this one. You ready for this? It included going over to the beach, uh, the Marine Center, and it ended with surfing. <laughs> Do we have the best school or what? Somehow they didn't find a board big enough for me. I was kind of offended. But I enjoyed it even more because I had the privilege of standing on the beach and, and watching my daughter learn to surf. And I just prayed and said, God, thanks for kids. God, thanks for children. Thanks for the joy of watching them. And then on Saturday, as Katie and Allie went to a volleyball tournament, I had the privilege of playing golf with my sons. I mean, just the the highs and lows of of one week and just to know the, the thrill of having children truly blessed. Well, in this morning's study of the book of Genesis and the life of Abraham, God's promises are finally coming true to a guy who's 100 years old. He's going to become a dad at 100. Can you imagine that? I mean, waiting that long. Uh, And also we're going to see in this passage of both the joy of finally becoming a dad with your wife, Sarah, the one you love, but also the heartache, the heartache of losing a child. I know some of you have that, know that heartache. So we're going to see the high and the low of parenting and what God has for us even today. There were several years uh, as my children were growing up that my, two of my good friends and their sons would take father-son baseball trips. They were the greatest trips of the summer. We would pick different cities to go to, and we would bring our, our, our boys. And both of my friends had one son, but I am blessed with two sons. So for the first year, it was just the fathers and one of my boys going because my youngest son, Caleb, was too young. 
And then he got to the point where he's like, I'm missing out. I mean, these are like the best times of the summer. So he asked one summer, he says, can, we, can I go on a father, son, and other son baseball trip? <laughs> Who wants to be known as an other son? In this morning's text, we will find a father and a son and an other son and what God has for us. And through all of us, my hope and prayer is none of us will ever leave here feeling like another son. But we would feel like a beloved son of the Father. So let's turn to God's word. It's in Genesis 21 today. Uh, we're going to read Genesis 1, 21, 1 through 21. A guy named Moses wrote this a long time ago. And he wrote it at a specific time in a wilderness for a specific group of people. But God did something amazing through this Moses. Uh, he actually breathed his being upon him. And as he wrote in his own style, with his own abilities, he was writing God's inerrant word. And because of that, it's a living word. And because of that, this is not a story to entertain us. This is a story that's supposed to dissect our lives. Whoever you are, wherever you have been, God's word is for you. And God's word right now, we're going to open up and read together and ask the Holy Spirit to come to whoever you are, wherever you are, to speak to your life and to mine as well. Let's hear God's word in Genesis 21. Let's hear of this son and other son and what God has for us. Verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah, or your translation might read, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham, a son in her old age, at the time which God had spoken to him. This is about, by the way, she's about 90 years old. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac, which means laughter. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when, I, when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Look at her faith. She's looking for more than one, plural. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, probably three years old. And Abraham made a great feast one day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. This is not the same kind of laughter she had. This is mocking laughter. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman, woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. You know, it's interesting. As you read this passage, Abraham calls Ishmael his son. Never once is Ishmael's name listed here. Hagar, or Sarah is going to refer to, her, to, to, to Ishmael as the son of that slave woman or Hagar's son. God's going to call him the boy. It's interesting that other son and the light he receives here. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy, 
and the slave woman, whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Hey, wives, did you write that down? Did you highlight that? Do you hear what the word of God just said to the husband? Do whatever she says. Well, at least for this passage and this incident right here. It's amazing he says that. He goes on to say this, And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Now, I want you to know, this is a child of probably 17. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And she sat opposite him. She lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. It's interesting, she wept, but God heard his voice. Sure, she, he heard hers too. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then the God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Let us pray. Father, again, another incredible story. A story that leaves us a bit emotionally wrecked. What are we to do with this? How are we to view this? How are we to understand what this means for us? God, in this story, you opened up Hagar's eyes to see a well of water that would prove to be life for her and life for her son. Father, would you open up the well of living water of your word? Would you give us living water through the preaching of your word? Open our eyes to see your truth, your beauty, your plan, and what this means to us. Oh God, be with us in spirit. Give us ears to hear the voice of your son, Jesus. And God, I pray that you would graciously allow our minds to be filled with your truth. God, open up our hearts to embrace your love. And God, I pray that you'd be so powerfully with us that we would walk out of here in a manner worthy of your great name. Father, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those things to shape us and make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus And it's in his holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with an outline, there's one for you in the bulletin. The first thing we'll see is this, is God's promises are no laughing matter. 
As a matter of fact, all of life, all of eternity are going to hinge on God's promises. If you read the Bible from cover to cover, and if you haven't, let me encourage you to do so. An incredible story of how God keeps his promises. An incredible story of how God rescues sinners like us. An incredible story of how God is faithful over and over and over again, even when we're not, even when we blow it. It's incredible to see that God will keep his promises. Although that we are sinful, although we are uh, broken, God is faithful. Do you know that? Let me tell you, the astonishing good news of the Bible is not only the fact that God keeps his promises, but he himself is the one who meets the demands that God has for us to receive his promises. Let me say it again to you. God is holy. And God is God. And God comes to us and says, I want to bless you and I want to give you life and life abundantly. But here are the conditions. God enters into a relationship with us. It's called a a covenant. He makes a covenant with us. And he says, I want to give you life and I want to bless you. But to receive those blessings, you're going to have to obey. You're going to have to respond. And if you don't, instead of blessings, you'll get curses. That's what the story of the Bible is about. But God not only keeps his promises. You ready for this? God is so gracious. God is so merciful that he sent his son to keep the conditions of the promises for us. And we find in Christ Jesus not only one who makes promises, but we find in Christ Jesus one who keeps the promises for us. And in Christ Jesus Everything that was said, if you don't do it, you're going to get cursed. Guess what? That cross, he became a curse. And not only that, but he lived the perfect obedient life so that all of God's promises could be yes to us. Stagger with that thought. God keeps promises with sinners like us. Stagger with that good news. God is not only the promise maker, he's the promise keeper. What amazing grace is ours. And one of the most significant promises you'll ever find in the Bible, it comes right after, it's early in Genesis, right after man and women rebelled, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And once they rebelled, they said, we want to do it our own way. We want to live according to our own plan. We want to have our own righteousness. We want to do our own thing. And what came is separation from God. And what came is is, is sin and death. God, in the midst of that, says, I can't stop promising life. And so in Genesis 3.15, he makes a promise that a seed will come from a woman, and this seed will come, and he will eventually make all things new. This seed will come that will make all things right. I mean, this seed will come, and, and he will take us as sinful men and women, and he will bridge the gap that exists between holy God and us. And there's a seed of promise that runs all the way through the Bible story. We're going to see it in Isaac. And guess who that culmination of that seed, it's not a plural seed, it's just one. It's Jesus. You see, so we see that this promise of a seed all the way through Scripture that will eventually find its way into Jesus where God's promises become yes to us. And how do we get a part of God's promises? How do we know that we can share in them? Do we have to be religious? Is it what we do or don't do or what we say or don't say? Well, we look at the life of Abraham and it shows us and throughout scripture. How did Abraham receive the promise? 
How did Abraham receive the blessing? You ready for this? It wasn't in what he did. It was in what he believed. Specifically, Abraham believed, even when he was an old man and his wife was barren, he believed in a promise of a child to come. He believed that God would be faithful to his promises. And because he believed specifically in the promises of God and the promised child of God to come, God looked at him and said, you're righteous. I'm going to see you as without sin. I'm going to see you as righteous in my sight. Not because of what you do. Listen to this. Because of what you believe. You see, God's promises are no laughing matter because why in God's promises we have life and life abundantly. And listen, here's the reality is, the way you respond to God's promises will determine not only the way you live, it will determine your very eternity. Specifically, if you believe in God's promise, this child that was to come named Jesus, God says you are forgiven, you are free, and you are mine. If you reject the promises of God, and specifically the promise of that child to come, you're cast out. You miss, and you're you're filled with darkness. You see, salvation is found in believing God's promises, and rejecting God's promises lead to hell and death and separation from God. Clearly, God's promises are no laughing matter. But God made some specific promises to Abraham he didn't make to us. Specifically, he gave promised a son. He promised that his name would be great. And he promised him a land to live in. And as we look back at Genesis 21, we see in verses 1 and 2, here's God doing what God does. He keeps his promise. He's gracious to, to, to Sarah. He comes to Sarah and says, I promise you, son, you're going to conceive. I know you're 90. I know that, that basically everything of motherhood in you has died. But I'm God, and I'm going to make you, uh, allow you to con- conceive, and you will have a child. In verses 3 and 4, for 1 and 2, we see God be faithful to his covenant. We see Abraham be faithful to his covenant. He, he names the child that God said to him, Isaac, laughter, and he circumcises him. He brings him into relationship with God, just as God had promised to do. The reality of this, as I want us to really see, is this. God will always keep his promise. His timing's not always our timing. His ways aren't our ways. He's mysterious God. But what everything that God has ever promised to his people, Scripture says, finds its yes in Christ Jesus. God will never leave you. That's a promise. God will never forsake you if you're his. That's a promise. God will never change his mind about you. No matter what has happened, that's a promise. God has promised that he's working and preparing a place for you. That's a promise. God has, listen, God has promised you, you if you're a child of God, that he won't give you more than you can handle. And I know many of us say, woo, he's on the thin line of that promise. God's promised that he'll always be with us. He'll never forsake us. God's promises never fail. Ever, God will not fail. Not only will God's promises not fail, God's promises can't be mocked. You have Sarah. Sarah responds in a way that's very interesting. When, when Ishmael, the son of the, the slave woman, is mocking in laughter God's promises, Sarah says something incredible. He says, Abraham, you gotta, you gotta drive her out. You gotta take her away. Not only her, but her child. 
All right, let's just, second point is this. God's promised son will have no rival. Can we be honest for a minute? Does anybody else feel that this is a little bit of an icky passage? Anybody else a little bit struggling with this? Saying, are you kidding me? That basically, I understand Sarah. Sarah sees uh, Ishmael mocking her son, and Sarah's going to bow up like a mother does and try to protect her son and say, I want nothing, I want Ishmael to have nothing to do with my son of promise. Take that boy and take that woman and get him out of here. I understand that from Sarah. But did you hear what God said? God said that Sarah's view of that woman and that boy was right. God said, listen to her. Listen to her and and take Hagar and take Ishmael and send them away. What in the world is God's word telling us? What in the world is God doing? Well, what we see is this. God will not tolerate a rivalry between the seed of human effort and the seed of promise. How did Ishmael come to be? It was because it was Sarah and Abraham who who schemed and, and, and walked and said it by faith, by sight. They said, we want to do it on our own. We have our own plan. I mean, God, you promised and you, you're so long and coming through. We're going to do it our own way. He's basically saying, God's saying, I'm not going to tolerate a rivalry between the seed of human effort and the seed of promise. When I think of Abraham, I mean, this was his son. He called him my son. How hard was it to give up his son? And you know, I don't know this for sure, but it seems like Abraham wanted a backup plan. God, God promised him that he would have a son of promise. And through that son of promise, he was going to bless all nations. And that would ultimately find its way to Jesus. But don't you think, especially, don't you think it'd be nice to have a backup plan? Do you remember when God promised to bless Abraham, what Abraham did to Ishmael? He brought him to God and said, God, forget trying to have my barren wife have a kid. Just bless this boy, Ishmael. He's a good little boy. And God does bless him and make him a great nation. But God says, my blessings aren't coming through him. I got another plan. That's your plan. That's your effort. That's you trying to manipulate me. That's you saying, this is my effort to gain what I want to gain. I can't bless that. I have a plan for you, and the blessings will come. Listen to this. The blessings of God will only come through God's promised child. And that ultimately is Jesus. We cannot find God's blessing apart from God's son. God's son will have no rival. And although it's certainly Isaac is not God's son, like Lord Jesus is, this is through the promise is coming through him. And God is saying there'll be no rival. He's basically saying this, God can't bless our plans if they're not his. God can't bless our efforts apart from Christ Jesus. You know what God is doing here? God is demanding all or nothing. Life is found in Christ and Christ alone or nothing. And I love it. Listen. He graciously makes sure that nothing stands in the way of his blessing either. If Ishmael is making fun of three-year-old Isaac when he's about 17 and, and uh, this boy's three, what would their life have been like if he kept them together? Remember Cain and Abel? I mean, if Ishmael ever got to the point where he rose up and killed the seed of promise, the whole story changes. The point of this 
God's plan is going to unfold. You know that? He's sovereign God, and he's in control of all things. It will not fail. God's plan cannot fail. And he's going to make sure there's no rivals. I think the question is this for us. Does Jesus have any rivals in your life? Is there anything competing for his place in your life? You see, this story is more than just a story. I get this. This story is more of a story than just two sons. This story is a story of two ways of living your life. This is, this is really about two ways of lifestyle, two plans for your life. One plan is man's plan versus God's plan. One is man's ways versus God's ways. And I'm not making this up. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 4 specifically says, Hagar and Sarah represent two plans, two covenants. And one is, Hagar is going to represent this. All those who depend on their own efforts to be accepted by God. All of you who are trying to be good enough, religious enough, do enough, so God will finally say, you're in. You are represented by Hagar. And Hagar, you'll never do it. But those of us, by God's grace, who are represented by Sarah, are those who are living by faith and believing in the gospel and trusting in the righteousness of Christ alone. How is it with you? You know, man's efforts to please God will always lead to bondage. Man's efforts to try their own thing and ask God to come along and bless them will never be enough. But God offers you so much more through the promised son. He says, I want to offer you freedom. I want to offer you life. I want to offer you meaning. Friday night, I had one of the greatest joys of my life. I had the privilege of taking Caleb and some of his close friends, I mean, great kids with phenomenal potential, and we gathered around. Uh, we, we, I called it a fireside chat. I mean, they're seniors in high school, and I wanted to have an opportunity to dialogue with them about life, and so it was too hot for a fire, so we put a candle in the middle, and we had a, we had a and I'm sure we looked really, really nice, a pastor and a bunch of high school seniors gathered around a candle, but... Um, <laughs> I asked them several questions, but one of the questions I asked them, I said this, I want you to each answer this question. I want you to tell me what is success. Because your definition of success will impact your life for the rest of your life. And your definition of success, because every one of us is going to run hard after it. So you really got to know what is your definition of success. And one of the most talented, handsome, incredible, great kids says, to be good. To be good. And I thought, well, what, what an honest answer. I mean, to be good on the athletic field, to be good in the classroom, to be, to be good in everywhere you, you, uh, you go. And I told him, I said, you know, that's a terrible way to live. Because there'll be a voice in your head every night that says, you're not good enough. Every day you wake up, you'll hear the same thing saying, work harder. Do better. Be more. If good is what you're striving for, it will enslave you. That's Hagar. That's trying to do it on your own apart from God. And you see, God who is a promise maker and God who is a promise keeper, he wants you to not live your life trying to say, just be good and try to be better. We live our lives like Sarah saying that we believe, you ready for this? That Jesus was good enough. And because he was good enough, his sacrifice was sufficient for our sins. We're truly forgiven. He was good enough. The life that reigns in us is really abundant and enough. 
His promises will come true. We could live our lives freed from the power and penalty of sin. We could truly be alive. Be faithful. Don't be good. Be faithful to the one who's given you life and life abundantly. Thirdly, God's children will never be cast out. Listen, you got to get this. The astonishing good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The scandalous good news of God's love for us in Christ Jesus is this. You ready? We who deserve to be cast out of God's presence because we're sinners and broken. He cast out his only begotten son, the sinless son. He drove him into the wilderness. He cast him away from his presence. He hung him on a cross to become our sin. He turned his gaze from him so his beautiful only begotten son would cry out and say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God took his only begotten son and drove him into the wilderness and cast him out so that castaways like you and me can be brought in. So that those who deserve to be treated like the other son are treated like the beloved son because of the way God treated his son on the cross. That's the scandalous good news of the gospel. And because of that reality, ready for this? He will never cast you away. He will never drive you, uh, drive you out. Not even for a nanosecond will he stop loving you and being with you. I know it feels at times that he's gone. I know there's times in our life it feels like God's checked out of the building. But he hasn't and he won't. His promises are true. And because God took his only son and cast him out to bring us in. I mean, the reality is, God treated Jesus like the other son so that everything he does, we would be treated like the beloved son. You see, that's good news that should make you laugh. And that's good news that should make you sing and worship that God loves sinners like us that much. We should cast away everything that enslaves us Live like children that are beloved and free. Cast away our plans to try to earn God's love and be righteous enough and somehow be approved by God. It's crazy the way we live. We think that God's up there thinking, okay, I hope you do good. We live saying, your son was good enough. And I'm free. Because I'm free, I really want to live for you. I got permission to end with a story. We were in the state finals, and it was, uh, we had a 3 nothing lead. 3 nothing lead, and it got chipped away to 3-1 after five innings. We played seven. In the sixth inning, uh, it was 3-3, three to three, and there was a runner on first and second for their team, and we just felt the momentum was completely in their favor. And I knew what was about to happen. I was watching in the bullpen, and my son's a relief pitcher, and I know he's about to come into the game. I mean, you can't get more pressure than that. We're in a state final. It's three to three. There's two guys on base, and he's about to come in the game. And so I watch the coach. I'm watching my son warm up, and I know he's coming in. And uh, I watch the coach come out of the dugout, and he's walking there, and he's like, here we go. This is it. And a horn goes off, indicating that there was a lightning strike within five miles. And we're now in a rain delay, about two hours. Two hours to wait. Two hours to wait to know that (laughs) 
what's going to come and happen. So I take that time um, about to throw up, and uh, um, I text my son. I text him, Caleb, I want you to know you're about, we're in a rain delay, and you're about ready to come into a game, and you are in a pressure situation. And before you throw one pitch, I want you to know I love you. And I want you to know I'm proud of you. And win, lose, or draw, I couldn't be more proud to be your dad. I love you. And then shock of all shocks, in five minutes, I get a text back. <laughs> Do these kids ever leave their phones alone, ever? I mean, I'm thinking, there's no way that he's getting it. I'm thinking I'm, I'm safe. I mean, it's in a rain delay. I'm sure they're huddled in prayer or something. They're doing something. And he sends it back, says, I love you too, Dad. Don't worry. It's just a game. He came in and did exactly what the coaches asked. Threw great pitches. We had some unusual bounces. And we didn't win. But I had a son who reminded me about life. And a son who reminded me about what was important. See, that's what we have in Jesus. I mean, really, a son who says, don't fear. I've taken the wrath of the Father. Don't fear. I've come to give you life and life abundantly. Don't fear. I'll always be with you. Don't fear. What I offer you, I will never treat you like the other son. I will never cast you out. I will drive you into my presence and call you Beloved, don't fear. Let us pray. Father, we couldn't ask for a greater father, a better God, a more beautiful Savior, and a better comforter than what we have in you, our triune God. You are the God who promises to love us. And you are the God who secures that love for us through your son's obedience for us. You are a God who not only keeps your promises, a God who treats us like a beloved son. We should be treated like criminals, but you treated your only unique son, that that promise seed Jesus, like a criminal so that we could be brought in. You could maintain your holiness and justice and we could be made free. That is the good news of the gospel. And that gospel should have no other rival in our lives. Even our own righteousness. Even trying to live our lives to do good. Yes, you want us to walk in obedience. Yes, you want us to love righteousness and justice. But we should do it freely. Because we are beloved. And we are free. God, I pray for anyone here who's living like the son of Hagar as a slave, trying to have you bless their, own, their plans. God, I thank you that you won't. You won't let them settle for second best. That everything that you promised, we find in Jesus. And it is ours by your grace through faith in him. Set us free again this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.